0: Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed.
1: Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it Ah. eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available. However, you listen to podcasts
0: spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Here's your host, James Witham.
0: This week, the show just got a whole lot smarter. It's episode 418 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. If you're a Jeopardy fan, you're going to recognize the name of my guest this week. Brad Rutter joins the show to talk about his new quiz mastering show, The Chase, on ABC. I say new, it's been on for three seasons Really, really fun show, and he's got some other stuff going on, too, that I can't wait to ask him about. And, of course, you know I'm going to ask him about Alex Trebek, too. Also, my spoiler-filled review of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I also decided to talk about The Lost City since it hit Paramount Plus this past week. Thought I'd give my review of that as well. Whole bunch of trailers. I'll talk about Avatar, Season 5 of Cobra Kai. The teaser dropped for that. Also, Westworld has a new trailer. Going to give you an update on The Boys spinoff and a show that was uncancelled. By sci-fi, that just seems so so unsci-fi, doesn't it? But they've actually uncancelled a show that I'm really looking forward to returning in a couple of years. But so much to get to this week. Let's get started with Brad and Talk about the chase next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hey, this is Blue Diamond Phillips from Fox's Prodigal Son, and you're listening to the
2: Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: So if you've watched Jeopardy! over, oh, I don't know, the last 20 years, you know who this guy is. You've heard the name. You you shudder in fear if you have to go up against him. It and he's doing a lot of really interesting things in his career now as well. He's on The Chase on ABC and a bunch of other stuff. It's Brad Rutter. Brad, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing very very well. So, like I said, many people you know know you from Jeopardy. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years off and on that you've been on the show. I,
2: uh, I can't. I can. Don't bring that up again. It makes me feel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the here's the deal. I mean, your last appearance probably didn't go the way you wanted it to, of course. But here's the question. I think that I don't know if you've been asked this yet. Is this is that the last time maybe we'll see you on the
2: show? Quite possibly, actually, because, you know, Ken is still very much in the running to become the permanent host of Jeopardy. If that happens, I would have to imagine that I'd be ineligible after that. You know, I think he's doing a great job, but uh, I think he should quit right now and just say he doesn't want it.
0: <laughs> what would that be like for you, though, if you were there as a contestant and he was the host? Would that be weird? Would that be fun what do you think that would even be like
2: i would mostly be afraid of him making fun of me if i got something wrong just because i can't come back at him then you know it's uh he's running the show it's uh i'm used to being being able to give as good as i get
0: that's what twitter's for brad that's <laughs> what twitter's for <laughs> so but you're on the chase now it's a really fun show especially you get to work with some of your fellow quiz masters james is on there with you as well what made you want to join up with this show and actually stick with it for all these seasons too
2: Well, it actually uh, starts a a while ago. Uh, Back in 2012, Fox actually ordered a pilot of the chase. It's been on in England for years, and it's a big hit over there. I was the American chaser in that pilot, so it ended up not getting picked up, but I was very familiar with the show. So uh, when ABC came to us after the GOAT tournament about bringing it back for primetime, I was in right away. And it's just, uh, it's a tremendous amount of fun. Uh, It's a great format. I love hanging out with my fellow chasers and also, you know, being able to cut up a little bit other than, other than just being like super serious and focused on Jeopardy. You know, I get paid either way now. On Jeopardy, you you eat what you kill. That's a good point.
0: I didn't (laughs) think about that.
2: (laughs) All that money you actually won, you know, now uh, I just show up for work and try to answer questions.
0: Which is always good. And what's, what I think is interesting about the show too, I mean, obviously it's your job to win. I know you're a competitive guy. Some of the contestants, they come on with these stories. They really need the money for some like really important stuff. So how does it feel when you're running down these poor souls in, this,
2: in these matches? <laughs> Well, James has no heart. He's a robot, so he has no problem. I actually have to, you know put some effort in to just block it out. You know, don't listen to the stories like i'm I'm here to win. Not that I would go easier on them if I did know, but it uh, it helps just to you know, not even think about that. Although usually if a team does manage to beat me, they will have my ultimate respect because uh, it's pretty tough and they will have done a great job.
0: Is it just a different vibe? On this show, just in general, because when you go into Jeopardy, you've got your two other contestants that you're up against. Like you said, everything's super serious. This, it seems like it's more fast-paced, too, on The Chase as well. So is there a different vibe just from the beginning when you started on this show?
2: Yeah, it was more uh, just the ability to have some fun with it. The Chaser Lounge is a big part of it, too. Uh, You know, the people who aren't uh, the chase the chaser that particular episode will hang out and give commentary on the proceedings, which is a lot of fun and uh, also an opportunity to make fun of each other, which is what I'm all about. I think for us it's, yeah, we're just up there having fun. Obviously we're all competitive and we wanna win, but yeah, that, uh, that monetary pressure is taken off of it.
0: What's the competitive nature like inside that room between the chasers too though? Because obviously you never want anybody to beat you as the chaser. So wh- what's the ribbing like even behind the scenes where you're like oh it looks like you got run you, they ran you down this week so what's that what's the camaraderie like between all of you
2: well it's pretty good natured it's mostly just be like ooing and eyeing with uh, if somebody comes up with something the other ones don't but uh, occasionally like my favorite line which has never made it to air yet is uh, wow i didn't know it was possible not to know that yeah like there was something james missed on tuesday that just blew me away i can't remember exactly what it was Yeah, everybody has those knowledge holes, though, that it's just something, a movie you never saw or just something you never heard of for whatever reason that seems pretty obvious to 90% of us, but everybody has those things.
0: And then you ultimately have somebody at home screaming at the television saying, how did you not know that? It's like, dude, I don't know everything. Come on.
2: (laughs) Exactly. My favorite thing about Twitter is that people will watch Jeopardy and they'll know uh, one response in the whole game and then start getting on Twitter. It's like, can't believe these morons didn't know that.
0: <laughs> Brad, in my house, my wife can attest to this. If I even get Final Jeopardy correct, I celebrate in my living room like I just won the Super Bowl. So that that's kind <laughs> of you know, the way the it goes right in my hand. house. <laughs> and she, she well, she's very good too. So it's so you know it's and it's competitive in our house too. I'm not gonna lie. You, you know you want to compete with your own family in these certain senses. So yeah, that's yeah, what it's like in my house.
2: Yeah, and that's I think that's one of the reasons why game shows have been so popular over the years. It's they're you know they're they're the original interactive TV. You're sitting there with your family. You're playing against each other to some extent, you know. I, people come up to me all the time, and they're like, "Oh, I, I love Jeopardy or The Chase." So, like I watch it with my grandma, or like my parents watch it all the time. And we have a blast watching it. It's a real family thing, which uh, I think explains the popularity quite a bit.
0: Talking to Brad Rutter, of course, you know, is Quiz Master Extraordinaire on Jeopardy and so many other shows. Right now, you can see him on The Chase Tuesdays on ABC. Now, I love you said the, the show is very lighthearted. You actually have nicknames on the yes. show. I think the Buzzsaw is a pretty great one. Actually, yeah, did anybody, was, uh, did, anybody did no- know how did, how did that come about?
2: Uh, I had nothing to do with it. They came up with it for me. But uh, honestly, if I had to pick one, I probably would have gone with this. Back in 2001, I was uh, saying I wasn't going to talk about having been on Jeopardy 20 years ago. In my tournament of champions, um, that was the year I was first on. Uh, I had a quarterfinal game against two guys named Bob and Doug, who were killers. Like they were great five time champions back in the days when they retired you after five games. So I was thinking I had a pretty tough draw and, you know, was going to have a tough quarterfinal match, but it was literally the best game of Jeopardy! I ever played. I had like a $4,000 lead at the first commercial break and just never looked back. Going into final Jeopardy! It was a runaway. And uh, Alex said to them, Bob, Doug, you guys must feel like you just got hit by a buzzsaw. <laughs> so that's where that came from. Which oh, is- if
0: Alex says it, you got to hang with it. No doubt about that.
2: To be called the Buzzsaw and it's a little bit of a connection back to Alex. That's absolutely fantastic.
0: That is absolutely incredible. Now, does that mean you've got the coolest nickname of the group? Because I already kind of thought you did. But what do you think is your nickname the best
2: of the group? I think, yeah, even going without the awesome backstory, I think the Buzzsaw sounds the baddest of all of them. Yeah, they're all pretty good, though. They're all pretty intimidating.
0: We need to get you walk-up music like WWE style where you can come out <laughs> with this big flashy entrance with, with explosions and all this other light shows and stuff like that.
2: That's in the works for season four.
0: Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> See, there we get a little nugget for season four and everything. it, that, that is incredible.
2: There still has
0: to be pressure though. You say that, that, that it's more light on the show. There has to be still some pressure that comes with this. So what's what do you think in the course of you doing this, what's the most pressure-packed moments for you? Is it that final chase where you've got like maybe 20-something questions that you have to answer? Going back to Jeopardy, is it like a daily double or something like that? What's the biggest pressure moment for you in these situations?
2: It's usually the final chase if the team can put up like a 19 or 20, which is going to be pretty tough to catch. But also... You know, one thing we've had a little bit more of this season is when the contestant in the individual chase is just one step from the bank and you're one step behind them, that one question shootout, just waiting for that multiple choice question to pop up. That's pretty intense too.
0: So over the course of the years on Jeopardy, I'm sure you got to spend at least a certain amount of time with Alex Trebek behind the scenes. And I'm sure you've been asked, you know, the inspirations that you've gotten from him and things like that. Here's what I want to know. What's something about Alex Trebek that we would be surprised to learn about him that we don't already know that you can share with us, of course.
2: That I can share? Uh, <laughs> um Actually... He he had a very dry sense of humor, which would only come out usually during the commercial breaks. And he would always be joking around. You know, if you just if you just watched the show, he was he always took the game and the contestants very seriously. But yeah, when during commercial breaks, when the camera was off, that's when he would go into little soft shoes, and he had this German accent he loved to do. And yeah, he would always be joking around. So uh, that's one of the biggest inspirations I took from him is that he so clearly loved his job. You know, he would just show up and he would just have fun every day, even while being the best ever at it and, you know, never messing up at all and taking it, the preparation and all that so seriously, it was kind of his life's work. He just loved it so much. So if you can get into that situation, man, there's nothing better than that.
0: So I have to ask, because I'm sure that this has been done to you a million times. I'm sure people come up to you all the time and start just randomly quizzing you on stuff all the time. So what's either the weirdest thing that you've been asked or the weirdest place that you've been asked some sort of random trivia question
2: you know I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to disappoint you here there's no place that's too weird and you know you it's also you know people will ask me all sorts of random stuff but i actually like it because i might learn something it's a, it's sort of a no-lose situation for me there they ask me something obscure and either a i impress them by knowing the answer or b i managed to learn something interesting that day so i can't think of anything really specific that i've been asked oh but there are always the people who are like oh yeah you're the Jeopardy guy, what's my aunt's middle name? That's always. Uh, oh but. come
0: on, that's like not even <laughs> fair. You're not. You're not Nostradamus. You're you're Brad Rudder. Come on, let's. I know. To- <laughs> yeah,
2: but then somehow I, I'm like forty eight percent on that. It's always Grace
0: that's hey wow wow good to know see now i've learned something so if i have to throw out a random name and i'm not sure it's going to be grace from now on just just that's my placeholder at this point so brad you're actually kind of transitioning into a new phase of your career as well you're you're in you're working in hollywood you're writing scripts you're doing the hollywood thing so what's the transition been like being on these shows and going into Hollywood, and what are some of the advantages that you've taken from this previous part of your career and and what you're doing now?
2: There's two main advantages. The first one is the one that you would probably think of, which is having been on camera and on sets all the time, I know what's going on. But uh, even more so is that I can actually pitch scripts and go on auditions and stuff like that and not have to bartend at night, which is what 99% of people have to do. You know, fortunately, I uh, got a little nest egg on Jeopardy, which is still doing pretty well. So yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. It's I, I can chase the dream without having to wait tables.
0: So what's the most exciting thing that you're working on right now that you can tell us about that people might be able to look forward to?
2: Well, I'm super busy with the chase at the moment, but I did do a couple pilots that we might start shopping around again. One was you might be not too surprised to hear is about the world's worst pub quiz team. And then uh, the other one is about the world's worst gym. So uh, I, I, sense a, I sense a theme there. But yeah, we're looking to get those uh, back out and uh, pitched around town.
0: And Brad, before I let you go, I'm sure at some point there's going to be an Alex Trebek biopic or miniseries or something like that. How much would you really love to be a part of that either on camera or or behind-the-scenes helping writing scripts for that?
2: Oh, uh, that would be fantastic. If you know anybody who's working on that, please drop my name. Actually, that reminds me of a story when uh, during the Watson games when we were playing against the IBM computer. That was sort of the biggest story in America for a couple days. And I was dismayed to find out that Saturday Night Live was dark that week. So I had had all these visions of Bill Hader playing me (laughs) <laughs> which never came true. So if I can't play me in the Alistair Beck biopic, I would recommend Bill Hayden.
0: Well, then that is a good suggestion. And we'll have to wait and see if that happens. But right now, make sure you're watching The Chase every Tuesday night on ABC to watch him and his fellow chasers and keep an eye on him and maybe your favorite show or if it's, or somebody that's written your favorite show because this guy, is, he's going places. It's Brad Rutter. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. I appreciate it.
2: Hey, it was fun. No problem.
0: And that's one of the things I love about Brad Rutter. He's a really smart guy, but he's a fun guy as well. Knows how to have a good time. And he's just doing something a little bit different with his life now. And I think that's super cool. And best of luck to Brad. Hopefully we hear big, big things from him in the future. And make sure you're watching The Chase, by the way, every Tuesday night on ABC. Because to me, like, trivia is like the foundation of nerddom, right? And that's one of the things that you can really, really get into and have fun. Play along with your friends. Yell at the TV. That's, a, that's part of the good time of watching The Chase. Again, thanks to Brad Redder for joining me this week to talk about so many things that's going on in his career. Up next, you've waited long enough. It's my spoiler-filled review of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine
2: Hi, this is Wim Everett, and I'm from Marvel's Agent Carter, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy
0: Podcast. When entering the multiverse is about so much more than entering the multiverse. Yeah, you've probably seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness by now from Marvel Studios. So, yeah, time for my spoiler-filled review of the movie. And this one's going to go in a lot of different directions really, really fast. So, you know, trying to keep up with me. On this, And no, you know, I'm not going to go through all the plot points and different, you know, just all these random aspects of the movie. You've seen it. I don't need to narrate it to you or tell you what it's about. You've already seen it. And I don't think me telling you is going to convince you to see it if you haven't seen it already. So let's just dive right into this thing, shall we? Because I really do think, and I want to just go right to the meat of what's being talked about a lot. And that's Wanda... And what her story was, and how she was treated, how st- her story was treated, and basically, you know, does this undo everything that was done in Wandavision? And yes and no. And one of the reasons I say that is because of the end of Wandavision, like the very very end, where you see her with the dark hole, and she's in isolation. And if you think about it, there's it's there's been some time that's passed between that and the events of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And that needs to be addressed right away. But I think that this story hits you differently if you're a parent and if you're not a parent. And I know that that's one of those things that make people roll their eyes and go, oh, really, you're going to go there? But yeah, I'm going to go there. Because I can tell you, as a parent, there's nothing I won't do for my kids. And the safety of my kids and things like that. Now, dude, do, does that mean I'm going to go all super villain on you? No, not necessarily. But there's also an influence there. And when we are in our biggest moments of pain, any influence that we get can have maybe a stronger influence than it normally would. And as powerful as Wanda is, she is in so much pain right now. And we are told through this movie a thousand times and I'm going to pound the table while I say that we're told through this movie for a thousand times how powerful the dark hold is and how much of a toll it takes on its reader and that is one thing I'm not seeing in a lot of the criticisms and a lot of the reviews and a lot of the Wanda deserved better posts that are on social media yes Wanda deserved better but here's the deal. If you take into account the dark holds influence on a very much hurting Wanda Maximoff, then you can completely understand why what happened happened. Because it took such a toll on a woman that had already had so much of a toll taken on her as it is with everything that happened with Vision and her children. Yes her children they did exist and they do exist I and mean, that was the thing that that I think frustrated some and certainly frustrated me is because yeah just because it seemed like she created them doesn't mean that they didn't exist because all that mattered all that matters is they existed for her and that she was a mother that's all that mattered to Wanda clearly and and the fact that not just a mother but, but her family with vision, as well, so she so she was a member of a family. And you take that, and you bring in the influence of the Darkhold, and this is the Wanda Maximoff that you get. This is the Scarlet Witch that you get, and you get to see just how powerful she can be, and that she is. And I think that's something that we're also not taking into account is that. This movie showed one thing for sure, and that is that the Scarlet Witch is maybe the most powerful character in the MCU, period. You could talk about Captain Marvel all you want. You want to start running down a list? Fine. But you tell me that when she was cutting through the Illuminati, that she is not the most powerful Marvel character in Marvel MCU right now, period. I'm just saying and even without that she I think she proved that more more so than could ever be proven and she and she here's the other thing she knew she knew that she was and that's what made her even more dangerous so you want to call her the villain I don't know that that's proper I think that the fact that she was influenced by the dark hole doesn't necessarily make her the villain so much as it makes the dark hold the real villain of Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. And don't sit here and vilify Wanda and glorify Bucky Barnes. I'm sorry. If you want to say that Wanda did things that were unforgivable, that's fine if that's your opinion. But don't sit here and tap dance around the fact that Bucky Barnes did the exact same thing and, is being, and, and has been glorified for it, quite frankly. And I'm not saying that Bucky doesn't deserve a second chance either. He obviously does. And he's, he's, you know, making those atonements, but at the same time, it's a double standard that I think needs to be addressed by, by more people and recognized by more people, because that is certainly a part of it too. And I'm not going to drag this review through all of that because I could do a whole show on that, but just keep that in mind when you're judging Wanda for the choices. That she makes. And think about it, the, the way that they end up stopping her, and I, I'm cutting to the end here, I guess. And America Chavez finds out that brilliantly, you can't just punch your way through your problems. And she's like, I'm going to show Wanda what she's doing to herself and to her family, and showing her the fear in her own children's eyes as they see her doing the things that she's doing. That was the power that broke the dark hold right there. That's what broke it. That was the one thing powerful enough to break that influence. Seeing the fear and the pain in her children's eyes as she was being presented as this monster. And when they said the witch is here, that's when it really sunk in. Like really, really sunk in. And then ultimately what Wanda does in destroying the the, the mountain with the dark hold the 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 hard copy I guess that you could you could literally the hard copy because it's on a wall and destroys it and you know is she gone really we're really gonna say that I know that the whole oh well Marvel you know they they just kill their female characters off and they don't give them enough uh, enough credit and all these other things and there's there, there's a valid argument there but do we really think that she's gone like really Because this is still a comic book movie at the end of the day. And to think that she's gone because a mountain dropped on top of her while she was inside of it. The most, again, most powerful character in the MCU. I don't think so. Do I think we'll see her anytime soon? No. Do I think we'll see her again? Hell yeah, I do. I don't know how or where or when that's going to happen. But it's going to happen. And you just need to be ready for that. Now, which Wanda we're going to get and which Scarlet Witch we're going to get will be the interesting part. But yeah, I definitely think that we'll see her again. As far as the journey through the multiverse is concerned, I thought it was very interesting to see how this relationship developed between Doctor Strange and America Chavez. And remember, again, not giving characters enough credit. You want to talk about America Chavez. How many times did they say, again, in this movie, how many times did they say, She's just a kid. This is the very beginning for her story. The very, very beginning. She's a confused kid. She's scared. She's being chased down by this powerful witch to steal a power and kill her for the reason of, you know, she just, you know, she wants to be in a universe where she could be with her kids. And she wants to also prepare for every eventuality of being able to save her kids. So that's why she wants to kill America and take her power. Okay. You get it. But You also take into account what America Chavez went through and the trauma that she's dealing with and the fact that she doesn't think she can control her powers because she's clouded by this guilt. And that's something that that Doctor Strange eventually kind of helps her realize and kind of gets there and sort of awakens this strength in her that we see toward the end of the movie. But I loved her snarkiness. I loved the back and forth. Between the two of them, there are also some very real moments there as well. And she has to get over some trust issues over what happens in the beginning of the movie. And that's very, very understandable. So I loved the back and forth between the two of them. And I think that there's a bright future for America Chavez in the MCU. But also this was a page turning time for Doctor Strange as well. Because he was still, you know, Christine's married now to someone else. You see that in the movie, and that of course is going to take its toll on Stephen Strange because that's the love of his life, or is it? Yeah, let's. Uh, I'll get to that in just a second, but he has to close that chapter of his life as well, and we kind of almost see that with a Christine from another timeline too. So that the way that that kind of plays out with the whole, you know, captured by the Illuminati thing, and then you know, d- discovering different parts in the multiverse and getting to the book of Ashanti and finishing this thing and the role that Christine plays in that I thought was, was pretty cool and pretty vital. And then you see that, you know, kind of a turning of the page moment where he gets that closure with Christine and can kind of sort of move on with his life from there. That's a big moment for Dr. Strange because clearly that was holding over him. And clearly that was something that, and you see him kind of walking out happy at the end of the movie before the shit hits the fan again. And and you just know that he's at peace with that and can kind of move on now. And maybe the story can also move forward from that as well. I do want to go back, though, and talk about the Illuminati a little bit. And we finally get the John Krasinski as Reed Richards reveal, which was one of the few times that a fan casting actually works out that way and you actually get to see it. And even in the little bit, you're like, this is so perfect. This is so, and then it unravels literally and figuratively right in front of our faces. Now, again, one universe, let's keep that in mind now. One universe of infinite universes does Reed Richards die. Okay, so that doesn't necessarily mean he's gone forever. Can we just, can we realize that really quickly? Just because he was turned into a pile of rubber bands in this movie doesn't mean that he's not gonna be involved in any other movies from here on out. So let's just let's just go there right now. Also Anson Mount getting some redemption as Black Bolt after the debacle that was the Inhuman series, I thought was a really, really cool move by everybody that was involved in this movie and being able to do that and give us a comics accurate suit for Black Bolt as well. Bravo on that. Looked fantastic. The little bit that we got of him I thought was great. You had Captain Carter, Haley Atwell, every bit brought that role to life and in and, and, and live action is it just lived up to every expectation that I had of the character. You had Monica Rambeau as Captain Marvel. That was an obvious one. You had Mordo on the council as well, and you got to see him obviously show his true colors for how he felt about Doctor Strange. Towards the end there. And just watching this group come together. And then you see. Here comes Patrick Stewart. And that just opens the floodgates now. In the MCU. For any X-Men possibilities. New or old. Quite frankly. You could recast everyone. And it wouldn't matter. But watching them die one by one. Had an impact. Because it was something that we couldn't wait to see. And then it was instantly snatched away from us. And I think that that was one of the things that you, in the moment maybe you're frustrated because you're like, so I get this for a little bit and then it gets taken away. And then you realize when you kind of calm down and, for a minute that it's not being taken away from you, that maybe this is just the beginning, right? Because again, infinite universes, somewhere there's another Reed Richards in the 616. And that's that's the Earth that supposedly the Earth that occupies the the current storyline of the MCU that we know that Doctor Strange is in and everybody else, and that's Earth 616. So, do we get Earth-616 Reed Richards? Is it still John Krasinski? It seems like the stars are aligning for that. We'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, I, I think that that's, that was a big, big moment in the movie, movie. As far as cameos go, and maybe it was a little more than the cameo, but as far as surprises go, that was a big one. And they spoiled a couple of them in trailers, but not the big one. Not not the Fantastic Four reveal. Finally getting Reed, getting Reed Richards in the MCU, was a big big deal. So I I think that we can't we certainly can't discount that and the fact that we got to see Charles Xavier as well and Patrick Stewart was another big one for me. But obviously there was a lot of great action in this movie, a lot of striking visuals that was, you know, kind of to be expected. We got really deep into the magic and how it works and how the multiverse works. We got to see, you know, splashing through some of the universes. That was certainly fun. There were some good jokes that were, that were thrown in there. Bruce Campbell is Pizza Papa. I love how that worked out. I also love the payoff in the post-credit scene, the very last one, where he stops beating the hell out of himself and says it's over and then you go to black. That was very that was brilliant as far as that final post-credit scene was concerned. I thought that it was presented too in a way where Sam Raimi really, really pushed the limits. Of that PG-13 rating. Now I know that I'm seeing some of the, You know "Ah, it should have been rated R. No no no. Now does an R rated cut of this movie exist? I'm convinced. That an R rated cut. Of this movie exists. Because especially in uh, that Illuminati massacre. From the Scarlet Witch. There were moments there. Where you could have easily. Made this rated R. Easily but didn't. And you think about you you go back and you think about some of the quote unquote horror elements in the movie where things get very evil dead in, in certain instances and especially when you've got Wanda like dragging herself with her bare feet and her mom jeans through the through the you know the the whole fortress there that was that was really really interesting and that was certainly quite frightening and then we had some you know moments of you know possessing dead bodies and demons flying around and yeah, it's spooky, and yeah, maybe it's not something you would want your kids to see, but that's why it's rated PG-13. If you decide to take your child under the age of 13 to this movie, that's kind of your call as a parent, and I'm not here to judge any parents for what they're going to do. Maybe your 10-year-old's mature enough to see this movie, or maybe you just don't think it's that big of a deal. That's your call as a parent. But to say that this movie should be rated R because of your particular view of the movie isn't necessarily true i don't think there was anything here that crossed the line into this needing to be rated r this is this was pretty pg-13 as far as i was concerned there were moments where it could have been rated r and they pulled back they clearly held back on a few moments in this so i think that the rating was perfectly fine the way it was. And will we ever see the R-rated cut? I don't know. And do we need to? I don't think so. I don't think it adds anything to the story or subtracts anything. I think it was kind of fine the way that it was. And yeah, there were a few plot holes you could tug at, especially the fight with Mordo. I thought there was a little bit of a plot hole there and how that could have gone and how weird that was. You know, maybe we didn't get enough of of the stronger America Chavez that we could have, but again, I think it kind of you know summed that up a little bit as to why that we didn't get that, and you know maybe there were times where it did drag on a little bit when it didn't have to, especially in the beginning. but I felt like it ticked all the boxes and had all of the callbacks that it needed to have, and a lot of things made sense, and again, as once you realize. And and understand why Wanda's story went the way that it did. I think it takes away a lot of the criticism of this movie. And I really, really enjoyed Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I thought it was a great comic book movie. I don't think we're breaking any, you know, cinematic Oscar worthy performances here. But a lot of great stuff. And then we finally get to see what the next chapter is going to be. Charlize Theron shows up. We finally get Clea in the MCU. Is this a start of a new beginning for the Doctor Strange story? I kind of hope so, and I think that it will be. And, you know, I see criticisms that, well, now this, may, this should have set up Phase 4, and now it seems, you know, more jumbled than it was before. We don't need to keep setting up phases. Can we understand that? That the success or the failure of the MCU isn't necessarily resting in phases. They know how to make good movies, and maybe they've realized the whole its whole connected thing has bit them in the ass a few times already, especially with pandemic delays and how that worked out. And maybe we don't need to do that for absolutely everything. Maybe they will for certain instances and, you know, create a world in which things can exist with each other easily, but not necessarily have to because they focused a lot on have to in the past. Maybe that's just not the future of Marvel Studios and the MCU. And guess what? that's okay. We can live with that. So a lot of things happening in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Always tweet me at and Nerdy 757 to share your opinion or tell me I'm an idiot. Either way, I'm good with it. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Up next, since The Lost City's now on Paramount Plus, I think I'll finally give you my spoiler-filled review of that. So we'll do it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: This is Jay Taylor from The Magicians, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: If you missed The Lost City in theaters, the good news is is it is lost no more. The the new movie with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum has finally hit Paramount+. Plus. So I decided, why not? Let's go ahead and give a spoiler-filled review of the movie. I was going to review it anyway at some point. Now seems like a good time to do that. I was really psyched for this movie when I saw all the trailers because I thought to myself, okay, this is going to be one of those classic 90s, early 2000s type of, not necessarily a rom-com, but comedy movie that just, you know, you, you see Sandra Bullock and, and those are the kind of movies I used to really love when I was in high school and when I was in college. You know, you, you kind of just sit back, you have a few laughs, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, in the era of this, when the sitcom was at its peak, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, that that I would watch and I would enjoy. And, and you throw into the mix. This, you know, possible lost world and treasure and the adventure style and stuff like that. And I was all in for this movie. And you've got Sandra Bullock, who plays a romance novelist who she's lost her husband. It's a pretty deep beginning part of the story. So Loretta's lost her husband, who was an archaeologist. She's kind of given up on life. And then you've got Channing Tatum's character of Alan, who's the flamboyant cover model. For her romance novels, she's not sure she wants to keep going. She's very uncomfortable around Alan. But her publicist, Beth, is kind of pushing her. It's like, you know, this is a new book. We kind of sunk everything into this. Let's go to let's, you know, go out and do this thing. And then that's when things kind of start to get really complicated, where you get Abigail Fairfax, who's played by Daniel Radcliffe, who kind of abducts Loretta, saying, hey, this city you wrote about, it's real. We're going to go find it. We're going to go find the treasure. And that's where the kind of madness ensues. But, and that, that's kind of all the descriptiveness that I'm going to give you for this movie. You know how I do these reviews. I'm not going to give you a, a, a point by point. Let's do it at the beginning analysis of this thing. What I will say is that if you loved Sandra Bullock in her heyday of these comedies, then you will enjoy her character of Loretta Sage. You will. You definitely will. It's got that miscongeniality Conge- Miss type vibe to it. She has the same kind of. She very much is in her comfort zone. If you enjoyed Sandra Bullock's early work, no question about that. You've also got Channing Tatum, who is great as kind of the bumbling, like doofus style Allen, who you know, like wants to be brave, but, but can't be brave. He's got a little bit of a like a cat type. Thing thing going on with them. It's 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 not necessarily comedic, but it's enjoyable in a in a weird way. And the sad part about this is, is that there were a couple of times where I chuckled at some of the jokes in this movie or or some of the things that happened. But by and large, I didn't laugh as much as I wanted to at this movie, and that kind of bummed me out. And I think it's part of it's because. We didn't really spend enough time, I don't think, with the whole abduction aspect. Of course, you know, Alan launches this rescue to save Loretta. You've also got Brad Pitt's character of Jack Trainer, who was very good in the short amount of time that he was there. And yeah, they saved the day, but it seems like they get to obviously in, in movies like this, and this is full of spoilers if I didn't mention that already a thousand times, and I think I did. This is a movie where you knew they were going to get caught again. It was, you know, it's obvious because that's the way these kind of movies go. You know that Loretta, if she gets saved, is going to get caught again. You know she gets saved because you've seen the trailer. So she gets caught again. If she gets caught again sooner in this movie, I think it's a better movie. Because then you have to try and figure that whole thing out. And even with, you know, it just being Alan you can find ways to work around that because they certainly did that in the moment when it seemed like they're safe. She decides she wants to go back to find this place. And then that's how they ultimately end up getting caught again. But it seems like if she'd stayed caught for a while longer and she would have been saved later, this might've been a little bit of a better movie. I'm just not sure that constantly just having this back and forth between Loretta and Alan really worked. Yeah, sure. It built their chemistry yeah, sure, it, it, you know, the the two of them working together, it, it was a good vibe between Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, but that is not where the intrigue of this movie was. And you spent frighteningly little time on your villain of Abigail Fairfax, who's played by Daniel Radcliffe, that, than you did on this building the relationship of these two. And yeah, you could say, oh, well, those are your stars. Daniel Radcliffe's a freaking star. And he was kind of a weird dude in this movie, and that was something I wanted to see more of that I didn't get to see more of. Although, really, the star of this thing, if we want to be honest, the star of this movie is Divine Joy Randolph, who plays Beth Hatton, this publicist. Every time she was on the screen, those were my most enjoyable comedic moments were with Beth, because Beth is done with the world shit. And I, and I love that about her. You can relate to Beth so much where the stress on top of her stress has finally gotten to her, and she's had enough. She's a strong woman that has had enough of the world shit, and she just wants to have something simple go right for her and be able to go about her day and just be able to relax for five minutes. If you can't relate to Beth, then you have a much easier life than I do And, and, and that is, you know, something that you, you know, you should hope to never have to have a life as complicated as Beth's is, but she was so good in this movie. I could have seen more of her as well, but I think if we did, it kind of would have ruined it at the same time when she showed up, it was gold every freaking time. So that, that I really definitely did enjoy. And, and, you know, there was a sweet ending, And you kind of have the write-off into the sunset moment that these movies tend to have. And there was nothing wrong with that. But there was also nothing special about this movie either. And there was nothing that made me go, this is the kind of movie that I was hoping for. You know, like when I was, if you heard my review last week of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, when I watched that show, I thought, this is the Star Trek show I've been waiting for. This is the vibe that I've been waiting for. And I really couldn't wait to go back and watch more of it. Whereas with this, I was kind of hoping that it would give me that same vibe of this is the kind of movie that I remember and what I've been waiting for. And it wasn't. It seemed like it was a mix of, you know, it was trying to be at times there were there were jokes that tried to, you know, take a little bit too far. and It didn't really work most of the time. There were a couple of jokes where it's like, ah, oh, that was, you know, that's a little, lowbrow for me. Not that I don't, not that I don't enjoy some lowbrow comedy every now and then, but it was like, ah, really? That's what we're doing. All right. Okay. But this movie did not hit on the beats. I kind of hoped that it would. Was it bad? No. Was it great? Absolutely not. It was just kind of in the middle for me. And I don't know if this is one of those that if it, if it just kind of came on TV, if I'd leave it on, you know what I mean? There's certain movies that even if you don't think they're great, there's a couple of funny moments in there and you'll kind of leave it on in the background while you're doing stuff. I don't know if this hits that mark for me like a lot of other Sandra Bullock movies would. So The Lost City, it was a little bit of a disappointment. Wished it could have been better, but wasn't a total disaster either. And I, I don't, and at least maybe this gets Sandra Bullock back on doing some more of these movies again. And I'm sure that she'll hit on one eventually. And it is good to see Channing Tatum back doing his thing as well that's going to do it for my spoiler filled review of the lost city which is now streaming on paramount plus up next hey how about we get to some nerd news this week since we didn't have any last week i'm james with him and this is the down and nerdy podcast
2: yo yo this is camera johnson from the cast of Batwoman, and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast almost time to book
0: our return trip to pandora it's time for nerd news and yes Avatar The Way of Water finally has a teaser trailer. You probably saw it a little earlier if you saw Doctor Strange in theaters because it was kind of playing right before the movie, one of the previews, if you got there a little early. So Avatar The Way of Water we know is going to be coming out in theaters on December the 16th. Now, the first question that I saw a lot on social media before there was a trailer when this movie was even announced was, does anybody still care about Avatar a decade later? I think we answered that pretty easily with the release of this trailer, 148 million views in 24 hours. Kind of says it all, doesn't it? That makes a pretty big statement as far as I'm concerned. So I'm guessing that people still care about Avatar. And you look at this trailer and really what you see is, is that the whole trailer is almost, wow, Pandora is a beautiful place. Look at all this stuff that we've, going on, we've got going on. Look how visually striking this is. And oh, by the way, there's some sort of a story mixed in here somewhere. It's going to focus on Jake, Natiri, and their kids, basically the lengths that they'll go to to keep each other safe. And there's guns and bows and arrows and, and crazy creatures, and it looks like there's some sort of a war that's going to be happening. But beyond that, we really don't have much of an idea of what's going on here. And that's okay, by the way, because this is a teaser trailer and the freaking movie doesn't come out until December. We've got time to unravel this a little bit. Does it hurt to have a teaser trailer this early? No, because that's why it's called the teaser trailer. And, you know, at about the six month mark, you need a reminder. I'm oh, more like the seven month mark, but you get my drift. You need a reminder that this movie does exist and it's going to be happening. Plus, you, you know, you put that up with one of your bigger blockbusters of the year. And that's a good time for a teaser to put it up with Doctor Strange. So, yeah, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I really don't. And again, anytime you have a sequel that's this many years later from the original, it's always a bit iffy anyway. So there's reason to be hesitant here. And should there have been an Avatar sequel in the first place? I don't know. And I know that they're going to be making more of these theoretically and this one should at least be successful enough to give us another sequel but I mean Zoe Saldana's back Sam Worthington Sigourney Weaver there's a bunch of returning cast members for this thing of course James Cameron is back as well and yeah visually I don't think there's going to be a problem with this thing looking fantastic it's just everything else that it's like eh I don't know you know and is this just one of those things where, you know, Disney grabbed 20th Century Studios and one of the first things they thought was, hey, we need to make another Avatar movie. The, I, I'm not going to lie, that's probably part of it, right? I can't imagine that that isn't at least part of it anyway. So, yeah, this is kind of a wait and see. Let's let's see how it goes kind of situations. But, I mean, looks-wise, it looks good. And as far as visuals are concerned, how the story is going to go is anybody's guess because they don't really give us virtually anything. About that. We do get plenty about the story for season five of Cobra Kai and a surprise teaser actually dropped late last week. The show gonna be premiering on September the 9th as well, which is a little earlier than you'd expect Cobra Kai to return. Usually there's about a December release for the series, but I'll take it. And it picks up right where season four left off. You've got Robbie and Johnny heading down to Mexico. You've got Daniel closing up shop at Miyagi-Do and teaming up with Chosen to go up against Terry Silver and the ever-expanding dojos of Cobra Kai. It's basically going to be a Cobra Kai army like we've never seen before. Now, how much will they buy in to the Cobra Kai mantra and how, you know, for the lack of a better way of putting it, radicalized will they be, especially under Terry Silver? I think might make the, uh, they're going to be too much is, I guess, where I'm going with that. Is it going to be too much to overcome for Daniel and Chosen and whoever they can get to join up with them to kind of fight this beast? Because, you know, the deal was they had to close down if they lost, and they did lose. So where does that go? But I think one of the really interesting things about this particular season is going to be taking us out of the valley and going with Johnny and Robbie to find Miguel. And obviously they find Miguel. We see that in the trailer, and you see the friction between Robbie and Miguel, and it's obvious why there's friction there because of what happened at the end of season four, and one of the reasons Miguel ended up taking off in the first place because he kind of feels like that fatherly relationship with Johnny's fractured at this point just based on that one drunken statement that Johnny made, so Miguel feels a little bit lost, and Robbie feels like he's in a little bit of limbo right now as well and will the three of them you know reconnect and form this bond who knows what that's going to look like i mean that's that's kind of what you hope for for Johnny's sake anyway but i know that Miguel deserves better it looks like they're really going to get into some trouble down there in mexico and that could certainly be fun seeing Daniel and Chosen together i think it's going to be really fun to figure out how they're going to battle Cobra Kai but it seems like Chosen and Terry Silver that's a very worthy combo to me, to see how those two are going to play off of one another, because uh, those are two tough customers, and and I'm very curious when they finally do clash. And if they ended up throwing down, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it. I mean, because when when I was younger, if you'd have told me from watching the Karate Kid movies that we get a fight between Chosen and Terry Silver, I would have told you you were stupid. And now we might actually get that. I don't even care if it's years later. I want to see this. I'm really looking forward to the possibility of seeing these two go at it. So yeah, Cobra Kai, September the 9th. That's just the tip of the iceberg, I think, of what's going to be going on in a very busy fifth season. Can you believe it's been two years since season three of Westworld? And now we're finally getting season four on HBO. It's also going to stream on HBO Max for the first time as well. So season four going to be coming on June the 26th, which is a lot sooner then we thought, yeah, we get a teaser trailer for this as well. Very confusing, right? You get to see a lot of characters that you saw from season one. I mean, you see that Ed Harris is back. The Man in Black's still wreaking havoc. You've also got Thaddee Newton. You know, she's back. Evan Rachel Wood, you surprised to see Dolores back? I'm not. Luke Hemsworth is back. Aaron Paul, the one one character you kind of decipher, it's not really going well for him, is Caleb, right? In, In this trailer you can kind of see that things aren't exactly great for Caleb. Not that they're ever great for anybody in Westworld, but specifically for Caleb in this trailer, it just doesn't look like he's having a good time. And and it really looks like Dolores is hatching something, doesn't it? Not that, again, not that she doesn't always have something up her sleeve and something going on, but this time it really looks like she's up to something. And I'm not quite sure what that is, and I don't know that that's a bad thing. But again, Westworld's usually confusing anyway. Let's just face facts. It's usually a show that's going to keep you scratching your head a little bit sometimes, but the intrigue of it and the and the crazy story always keeps you coming back. Now, I'm really going to need a crash course on season 3 before I dive into season 4. I'll be honest. It's been a while. So yeah, I think just like you, I'm going to need a refresher on season 3. But when you've got an amazing cast like this, I mean, Jeffrey Wright, Tessa Thompson are, are are all coming back. And then you add Ariana DeBose to the cast from West Side Story. Yeah, that's another amazing addition to this already stacked cast. So performances will not be a problem. But the only thing that HBO gave us to describe the season was one sentence. And it said, a dark odyssey about the fate of sentient life on Earth. Thanks. That really doesn't tell me anything but it's classic cryptic Westworld, isn't it? And honestly, I don't have a problem with that because that's been their MO from the beginning. So we'll see them in June. Here's something that I don't talk a lot about video games anymore, but this is something I felt like I needed to bring up. And the fact that Gotham Knights, the new video game team up, that's going to still be coming out in October. Don't worry about that. Late October. It's been canceled on previous-gen consoles. Now, by that, I mean there's going to be no PS4 release. There's going to be no Xbox One release. And I can understand why some fans might be upset about that. I really, really do, especially since these next-gen consoles have been a little hard to come by. But again, this game's coming out in October. Now, will things be better by then? Let's hope so. Just across the board, let's hope things are going to be better by then. But here's the thing. It's time to let go being angry about this. And I'll tell you why. Because it's getting in the way of the progress of these games being able to be made on time. And there's enough problems with getting games to be made on time as it is. And getting all the bugs worked out as it is. The top priority is always going to be whatever the current gen or next gen console is going to be. When you've got games like this that are still in production. If you have to change things to make them compatible with the previous gen consoles there's all kinds of things that can pop up that can cause problems and there's all things all kinds of things that could come up to provide delays and is that what you really want don't you want this game to come out because that's a that's the other thing games do, one of the reasons I stopped talking about video games a lot was because these things keep getting pushed back. You you hear about a game at a convention and then you're not even getting it on the street until like three or four years later. And coding games, making games is freaking hard, okay? I concede that. But at the same time, it's getting to the point where from trailer to street date is ridiculous. And it's really hard to kind of understand why that is. And maybe this is one of the big reasons why that is. So once we can let this go and understand that, you know, this industry is going to move on without you, if you don't upgrade your console and I'm in that boat with you, don't, don't get me wrong. I understand I am in that same boat with you, but this industry will move on without you if you don't get that new console. So if you want to play Gotham Knights, and you want this big team up. If you want to find out what really happened to Bruce Wayne with the BatFam, you better upgrade that console pretty quick. Really quickly, I wanted to give an update on the boys' spinoff series, which this update comes from Deadline. They've added three members to the cast. The, the show is in production currently. We've got Patrick Schwarzenegger joining the cast, John Patrick Thomas, and also Marco Pigosi. And now here's the deal. They have officially announced who's going to be, who they're going to be playing in this series on Prime Video. But Deadline says that Schwarzenegger is going to play Golden Boy, that Thomas is going to play Polarity, and Pagosi is going to be playing Dr. Cardosa. Those are, that is who they say that they're going to play. And this series has gone through a little bit of turmoil. It's had some, a couple of cast changes. You had Rena Herdese that left the show. So Thor London, London Thor, excuse me took their place, and you've had a lot of names added to this cast. You've still got Jazz Sinclair that's a part of this thing, Lizzie Broadway, Maddie Phillips, and a bunch of others, and this is still the show that's going to be centered around the the school for young adults, young adult soups anyway, and it's going to be a battle for the best contract, so it's going to be hormonal, it's going to be competitive, it's going to be like, you know, part Hunger Games-like is how it's kind of described and it's all run by Vought. So I'm sure it's all going to be on the up and up, right? And it's going to be raunchy because it's The Boys. So, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to this series. I thought it was a little bit of trouble there for a while. It looks like it's okay, though, and especially since production is already going on. But this is the kind of thing that you want to do set in the world of The Boys. And getting a little bit of the younger soups out there now I think is a really good call because this show's got to go somewhere at some point. And as much as I'm looking forward to season three, it feels like this season is going to be a turning point for the story. And this things will probably head in a little bit of a new and different direction in season four. And how will these shows tie into each other? If they do at all eventually, that's another interesting thing that I want to see. So yeah, the boys moving right along with this spinoff. And I'm really, really excited to see this world expanding once again. Really quickly, I wanted to dive in for this because there's not too many shows that get uncanceled by the same network and it has happened. Remember their show Surreal Estate with Tim Rozon, kind of like the real estate firm that specializes in houses that have extra guests, should I say, and they're trying to sell these houses that have ghosts in them and demons or that are possessed or things like that. And there's much more to it than that, but that's the gist. Well, Sci-Fi had canceled the series, now reversed their course, and are bringing sh- and bringing the show back for a second season. Now, it won't be back until 2023, but I thought it was really interesting that they decided to do this, because usually this comes from an upswell of support on social media and campaigns and all those things, and that did happen for Surreal Estate, but I don't recall that being something that's been ongoing for a while, like we saw with like a Lucifer or a Manifest or what's going on with Batwoman right now. So it's almost like, and I loved Surreal Estate. I'm stoked that it's coming back. But at the same time, you look at this and you go, well, if it can happen with this show, it can happen with any show. Why wouldn't you? Now, is part of this sci-fi saying, you know, we were a little light on programming. We're not sure, really sure what to do. We've already got this show anyway. Let's just bring it back. That could be part of it. that And there's nothing wrong with that either, by the way, because, again, I'm, I'm happy that they're bringing this show back. But it's, it's just interesting because sci- sci-fi tends to cancel shows a little bit sooner than they should. And bringing this one back, I think, is a really good sign that maybe they're going to stop doing that. Now, if they come out tomorrow and decide that they're going to bring back Deadly Class... I'd be even more psyched. I don't think that's going to happen, but it would be really, really cool if it did. I don't know if they could get all the cast back for that either, but I thought I think that that would be a really neat thing for them to do. I'm not holding on hope on that at all. But again, seeing this happen with surreal estate opens the door to the possibilities of which shows could be saved and how they could be saved at any particular point. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Brad Rudder for joining me this week to talk about the chase. Make sure you're watching that show on Playing Right Along every Tuesday night on ABC. Also, make sure you're following along with us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Always online for you as well, downandnerdypodcast.com. And make sure you follow, subscribe, like, rate, whatever you have to do on your favorite podcast app, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, I appreciate your support. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.